everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for January 26, 2022. This is take two. Can't tell you guys how annoyed I am right now that I recorded the uh, I recorded this already. My voice is already going out. I've been recording so many episodes lately. People have been reaching out wanting to do interviews. We have the Spawn Daily, giving you the regular uh, content that we normally put out. It's been a lot. Um, so the fact that I just talked for a little over an hour uh, about the books that are coming out today and had no audio is is just really really frustrating. So, and, and you know, there's no way to there's literally no way to recreate that episode. You know, I'll, I'll never be able to remember exactly what I said uh, when covering the book. So again, it's it's really frustrating. Um, so apologies if this is even faster to go through this time. Um, it's just. Again, it, you would I've done that before, and you would think that I would learn my lesson and wouldn't make the same dumbass mistake. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and dive into the books. A really Marvel-heavy week this week. Um, not a lot of independent stuff. Saga does make its return, but we don't didn't get a preview copy of Saga. <clears throat> Generally speaking, we don't. Saga doesn't send preview copies. You can you can request a press copy after it's already been released. <clears throat> but they don't send uh, previews. So I know that's going to be one that a lot of people are going to be looking for. Unfortunately, uh, I've actually never even read Saga. I know that's sacrilege to many of you, <laughs> but uh, won't be talking about that. But I know a lot of you are excited it's back. The other thing I'll mention before I dive into the issues is I'm not sure on the release date for some of these things. Like Seven Swords from Aftershock is supposed to be out. Issue number five, the final issue. I didn't get a press preview for it, but yet I see it on on some uh, comic lists for uh, issues that are coming out today. So maybe it's coming out, maybe not. But then at the, on the other hand, I did get the final uh, the preview for the final issue of Chicken Devil. So maybe that's coming out. So I, again, paper shortage and shipping problems and whatnot. So take everything with a grain of salt. This is. To the best of my knowledge, the books that are supposed to be out, but you know, you may show up at your comic shop and it might not be there. So, apologies if that's the case. So, uh, anyway, let's kick it off with Avengers Forever. Uh, it's written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Aaron Cooter with Carlos Magno, Scott Hanna, Roberto Poggi, and Cam Smith do the inks. Colors are by Guru EFX. Um, let's talk about the art first. It is Aaron Cooter with Carlos Magno, um, which is a, they have a very similar style, and I think it meshes well together. Um, but with so many different inkers whose styles are not as similar, it does give the art a little bit of an inconsistent feel. Um, but overall, it's still pretty solid, and it's it's great in terms of storytelling. It's it's fantastic. Uh, in terms of the story from Jason Aaron, the one thing I don't like, I don't like that it's called Avengers Forever. We had the Kurt Busiek Avengers Forever back in the day. This is not related to that at all. It's very different in a lot of ways, so I, I just wish they could have thought of something else to call it. Um, basically, the premise is, and what we learn in the first issue, is uh, there's a dystopian world called Earth-818, there's a bunch of bad people there, basically. Uh, the Deathlock Prime came uh, and was trying to warn the Avengers about this 
really bad multiversal enemy that was coming. Um, and so Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider, teams up with Deathlock, and they, they end up on that world, uh, on that dystopian 818, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and that's basically the, the gist of the story. So interesting that we just had last summer the Heroes Reborn event from Jason Aaron that really had to do with alternate, I, I guess we use the word variant, right, from the Loki TV show. Um, it used to be Marvel zombies made fun of DC fans for all the different versions of characters, and now Marvel's seems to be tapping into that, which I, I find to be ironic uh, and funny in a ironic way. Um, but it seems like Marvel's going there for storylines now. And I mean, it makes sense. It, you start running out of, of story in the main 616 universe. Um, so I just thought it's interesting. Jason Aaron seems to be, you know, heading that way. And even in his uh, regular Avengers title, which feels like it ties in with this in, in a lot of ways, um, they're dealing with, uh, masters of evil that are like a, a, a multiversal, uh, masters of evil team. So he's really leaning into that, um, different, different versions, different variants of characters right now. Um, the other aspect of that, that plays up in this issue. And again, I'm not going to spoil anything that comes inside the issue. Wednesdays are spoiler free. If you're looking for the DC books, we go spoilers with DC, but that's on the DC spotlight. So I think I forgot to say that this time around, go check out yesterday's DC episode. Anyway, uh, one thing that really feels like Aaron wants to do is level up the Robbie Reyes version of the Ghost Rider in terms of power, maybe evolve him as a character. I'm all for it. I've never been a big fan of Robbie Reyes, but I do like what Aaron's doing with him here, especially if he's going to change his name. I never felt like Robbie Reyes should have been called Ghost Rider. He doesn't actually ride anything. I mean, I know you ride in a car, but you don't ride on it like, like you ride on a motorcycle or a horse like the previous Ghost Riders have. It just never felt right for me. And I, I'm not a big fan of Tradmore's art. Well, that that's an understatement. I, I don't like Tradmore's style of art. And again, that's just a personal thing. The guy's super talented. Don't get me wrong. I just, I'm not a fan of that style of art. So I never liked the aesthetic. So the idea of this hell charger, this, this uh, muscle car as, as you know, the, the ghost rider, I, I, I just didn't like it. Um, so if we're doing away with that, and leveling Robbie Reyes up. So I think, hey, that'll make Robbie Reyes fans happy. We're not diminishing him or making him less. We're actually making him more powerful, really cool, and and not calling him Ghost Rider anymore because I just don't feel like he really fits the Ghost Rider aesthetic. So anyway, that's just a personal thing for me. I am enjoying this story, and it's not just Robbie Reyes who we're seeing different versions of um, in this 818 universe we saw in the first issue. Uh, things are different there. It's not just dystopian. Things um, happened and, and events unfolded in a different way. So we got to meet Iron Man, but it wasn't Scott Lang and it wasn't uh, Henry Pym or Hank Pym. It was Tony Stark, which I thought was really, really interesting. So there's that kind of stuff to be explored. And I imagine that's what kind of uh, inspires Jason Aaron to tell these kind of stories that he gets to kind of flip things around just like he did, as I mentioned with, uh, with heroes reborn. So, uh, okay, let's move on to the next book I've already talked about, but we'll talk about again. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. Amazing Spider-Man. This is number 87. We're still telling the Beyond story with Ben Riley working for the Beyond Corporation. Peter Parker having the terrible accident, being poisoned 
with gas and radiation by the UFOs and being stuck in the hospital. We did see a few issues ago that Pete, you know, he woke up from his coma and felt like he was good enough to, to kind of get out there. And he put on his costume and he went out on the streets and basically got his butt handed to him just by a couple of two-bit, like, thieves. Um, just like guys who were mugging people or robbing uh, bodegas or what have you. Like, just guys, no powers, like nothing. Um, and it really showed how, how damaged his body was. And, you know, you, you lose a lot of, like, muscle tone and, and range of motion. And, like, you don't realize when you're in a coma, like, how much your body just atrophies. And so, basically, the story that's being told here by writer Zeb Wells is uh, Captain America and, and Black Cat are teaming up to, to kind of retrain Peter. And, and hopefully, he's going to come out on the other side an even better fighter. I mean, Captain America is one of the best fighters in the Marvel Universe. So, I like this idea right of, of of trying to get peter back into shape so he's worthy of the costume and and whatnot so as i mentioned zeb wells is the writer he was announced as the the writer of the ongoing amazing spider-man once the beyond story's over he's part of that beyond board along with kelly thompson cody ziggler saladin ahmed and patrick gleason um i haven't read a lot of zeb wells stuff but i like the choice uh, I am a little surprised I didn't choose Jed McKay, whose star seems to be on a meteoric rise. He, he's he's kind of like this year's um, Donny Cates. You know, he's where Donny Cates was a few years ago. Seems like he's writing a ton of books. They're all great. They're all fun. Um, but w- plenty of Jed McKay stuff to come. But yeah, happy they've chosen Jed uh, Zeb Wells rather. Uh, Carlos Gomez is the artist. Very classic art style. I mean, between Gleason and Gomez and some of the other guys they've chosen to put on this weekly book, they all have a very similar aesthetic. It's all kind of classic clean line superhero comic art. They're not really pushing the envelope, but it's all, I don't want to say generic, but it's all very similar in style. So I think when you collect it, it will, it will work uh, really, really well. Uh, There's not very much Ben Riley in this issue. Uh, We did see last issue that Ben Received the information from Dr. Octopus that Beyond the Beyond Corp is really, really bad, as we suspected, as had been foreshadowed. Pete had concrete, or uh, Ben rather had concrete proof of how bad they were. Unfortunately, Beyond Corp found out, and they went and erased some of Ben's memories, which we find out we found out last issue that they've done that before. But one thing that's interesting is when they were erasing the memories last issue. Uh, the stuff they wanted to erase, they also accidentally erased some things they didn't want to erase. It was happening on its own. And some of what they erased were memories that were implanted that belonged to Peter Parker. So how that will affect Ben in the long run, we don't know yet. Will it change his personality? Will it change who who he is and what he believes? Again, we just don't know. Uh, and in case you're wondering, well, why, why would Ben Riley have Peter Parker memories? Well, remember, Ben Riley's a clone as well, right? So... Anything that happened to Peter Parker in his life prior to Miles Warren cloning him and and then waking that clone up, that clone which became Ben Riley, and but believed was Ben Riley believed he was Peter Parker when he woke up because he had all of Parker's memories up to that point, right? So his childhood and Uncle Ben dying and all that stuff, those were all technically implanted memories. The, the clone that thought it was Peter Parker and eventually became Ben Riley, it didn't go through those life experiences. It didn't live that life. Peter Parker did. So 
it's a fascinating thing to do from this beyond board uh, group of writers to, to remove some of those and how that's going to affect Ben may be the most important long lasting ramification of this. Um, but like I said, we hardly get any Ben here and barely a hint um, that something might, might've happened when they were messing around with his brain. So the other last thing I'll mention about amazing Spider-Man um, Cause I was going through my reading list for 2021 in anticipation of doing the, um, the comic source awards for 2021. And I was going back through and looking at everything I'd read and I see a bunch of amazing Spider-Man issues, right? And it's the Nick Spencer run and the kindred stuff or whatever. And it, it took me back and not in a good way, right? Like you guys know, if you were listening, uh, that I wasn't a big fan of what Nick Spencer was doing just in terms of pacing, like that kindred story, he started it in issue one and it took like 75 issues or something like that to tell one story it drug on way too long and it, it there were so many times where it felt like such a negative book it wasn't fun it felt like a chore to read and i mean spider-man should be fun and in this story what i what i love about what's going on now and what it made me realize when i saw those old nick spencer issues because i was looking at covers and whatnot too um just how much of a chore and how it was kind of an un, a book that was unhappy had this and just had this negative connotation around it that's not the case like it, it's all and i'd already forgotten we've been on this beyond story long enough now that it's it's cleansed my palate of the bad taste i had in my mouth from from the previous run uh, which i loved and reminded me don't take don't take this run for granted don't take the fact that spider-man's fun and, and more of a positive book again for granted because uh the, this beyond board and the artists have been doing a great job so just just wanted to mention that okay another marvel books up next captain america iron man we're up to issue number three it's from writer Derek landy angel unzieta is the artist rochelle rosenberg does the colors joe caramagna on letters got a great alex ross cover and a, a really cool kind of homage cover uh variant cover from philip tan and frederico blee so what's going on here captain America and Iron Man captured uh, Veronica Eden, who Veronica Eden is, somebody that Tony Stark, of course, slept with at one point, uh, but she kind of targeted him, and, and it, it, you know, she was on the other foot. She was using him as opposed to Tony using her, which is usually the way it goes, and, and got Tony to recommend her for S.H.I.E.L.D., and she eventually got into S.H.I.E.L.D., but then she did a bunch of bad stuff, and all along, her uh, her goal was to basically be, take over Hydra. And we find out why in this issue. We find out why she wanted to take over Hydra. What did she want to do with that power? So she wasn't able to take over Hydra, but now she's teaming up with some other people, including somebody who's using the old Cap Hydra armor uh, that Steve Rogers wore at one point. And she has bad intentions, but she's so fun. That's what's so great about this book and the way Derek Landy writes it. She's got all these one-liners. She's her interactions with Tony Stark are fantastic. The interactions between Tony and Steve are fantastic. And then we even have uh, a bunch of the uh, heroes that were part of the Avengers uh, 50 state initiative. A bunch of them have teamed up. They call themselves the Palisades and they're trying to make a name for themselves as heroes. Their interactions are fantastic as well. And when Cap gives them advice, you know, hey, you guys got to start at the beginning and you build yourself up and reputation and all that kind of stuff. So the, the core of this book, where it really shines, is in these character interactions. Derek Landy ha just has a real knack for 
using really snappy dialogue and, and fun one-liners and jokes to um, to really sell the interactions between these characters. And on the backbone of it is this really fun kind of, not necessarily globe trotting, but they are jumping from locale to locale uh, in terms of adventure. So it's a very mobile adventure was as Cap and Iron Man are trying to stop um, Veronica Eden, which again, they captured her, but her, uh, her allies are still out there trying to do whatever it is they're going to do. I don't want to give it away. Um, but we do learn a, a lot of the motivations of, of what's going on uh, in this issue. So uh, this is just such a fun title. It really feels like almost a classic team-up of, uh, of Cap and Iron Man from like back in the 60s. But um, in, in terms of the story and, and what kind of villains they are, but very much feels modern as well um, in terms of the, the threat level and what their plans are. And, you know, it's not corny, um, but just the team up part of it and the classic superhero feel of it harkens back to those, those early issues. Uh, the art by Angel Unzetta is fantastic. Uh, he filled in on, uh, on Iron Man with Christopher Cantwell um, when Kafu needed a break and his art is just as good, if not better here. Uh, also, I got to shout out Rochelle Rosenberg, who does the color work. There's plenty of of action in this book, like I said. So, laser blasts and explosions, and you know Tony's armor glowing and whatnot. And Rochelle just makes those colors pop off the page. Whenever there's light or whatnot, it really looks like it's glowing. So, just a, a beautiful book to look at. Definitely recommend checking that one out. Uh, okay, up next, it's a uh, best check at press title. It actually, came out on Tuesday. Now, we've talked about the first three issues. They're on the Comic Boom web channel, or you can listen to the audio only on the Comic Source podcast. Um, fantastic stuff from writer Scott Snyder. Francis Manipole does the art and colors. It's this really juxtaposed story, right? This, uh, this man named Sam Dunes, who really, is, in a lot of ways, is like an old classic 30s, 40s gumshoe detective. But he's living in a world where technology has advanced far, 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 far uh, in advance of what we have here to the point where everybody sees the world in a veil, in a skin. Like if you want to, you want the world to look like 18th century London. Okay. No problem. You want the world to look like you live in the star Wars universe. No problem. You want the world to look like you live with the Muppets. No problem. Like whatever you want, whatever you can think of. Um, but the title comes from the fact that this uh, detective, Sam Dunes because of tragedy, losing his son, issues with his wife, he chooses to live his life unclear and see the world as it really is. Um, so you've got this idea of these two different worlds, right? The, the, this detective story that harkens way back, old-fashioned mystery uh, with this technology, almost a dystopian-type future or a world that's winding down. Uh, and, and you also have the idea that you know technology from almost its earliest time was, was touted as a way to make the world smaller and bring us together, right? Instant communication, talk to somebody around the world via telegraph and then by telephone and then by computer and then, uh, you know, cell phones or whatever. And I can, I can call somebody in Africa, pick up my phone and be talking to him in seconds. Um, brings us closer together, allows for communication. Well, now the pendulum of technology swung so far that it's actually doing the opposite. It's actually isolating us, right? Because I could be sitting right next to somebody they have a skin or a veil, as they're called, uh, to see the world. And they're looking at the exact same thing physically that I am, but they're seeing it completely different. There's no frame of reference. We don't have anything to talk about because I'm, I'm looking at the world in a Batman Lego skin 
and they're looking at the world in a My Little Pony skin, you know? Uh, so that's, that's interesting as well. In terms of actual specifics for the story, um, and I mentioned the tragedy that's followed Sam Dunes around all this time, and his, his ex-wife dies in the first issue, and he's trying to get to the bottom of, of what happened to it. Meanwhile, there's conspiracies going on behind the scenes with people that want to uh, control the the veils because in a way it really is uh, a way to control the populace and keep them docile keep them from revolting keep them from you know realizing how bad the world really is so those in power can stay in power um and so yeah there's there's very much a mystery at the center of it and in this particular issue issue four dunes gets a, a lot of clues about what's going on he doesn't let us know what they are but it gives him a lot of agency um, so fantastic issue, really fast paced, uh, issue on this one, a lot of action and Francis Manipal art has been fantastic throughout. I mean, you can just imagine the freedom that Francis has because I mentioned those veils. He could draw anything he wants, you know, just give us the viewpoint of a particular character and make their veil be whatever you want it to be. And it gives him the freedom to draw whatever he wants. Um, so his art and color work here is just fantastic. Um, he the other thing about it what he does is in choosing what not to show in the panels or or in the way he does show like the angle the camera angles what he's given us it it does such a great job of perpetuating the the sense of mystery of the fact that there's more going on than meets the eye you know this isn't a brightly lit story where we see every detail you know, a lot of the panels, you're really zoomed in on the action, uh, and, and the colors tend to be darker. Most of the story seems to take place at night, um, and it, it really helps set the tone. Um, and again, gives that crime noir feel. So it, it would be hard for me to overstate just how spectacular the art in this book is. Um, and there's plenty of character beats and moments where you're just like, yes, that kicked ass. Um, so... If you haven't checked it out, I do encourage you. It will be in print eventually, but right now it's on Comixology. It's Comixology Original. There's three different ways you can get it. You can go to Comixology, straight up buy it, or Amazon, and straight up buy it. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. You can read it online on their Kindle Reader. Or if you have the Comixology Unlimited, it's free as well. So we'll be doing a, a deep dive on it coming up later in the week. I still owe you guys the, the deep dive, the review for We Have Demons number three, which is another best jacket title that Scott Snyder does with Greg uh, Capullo. I know I'm late on it, but, you know, when I forget to turn on my mic when I'm recording and I have to, re you know, say things twice, it cuts into my time. So anyway, We Have Demons three is coming. We'll get you a clear number four uh, full review uh, as well as uh, one other best jacket title that came out today that I'll talk about here in a couple minutes. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about uh, Devil's Reign, Winter Soldier, which is written by uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Art is by Nico Leone. Colors are by Felipe Soberero. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, this is a fun story. It's, it's somewhat of a simple story, but it certainly uh, doesn't lack for quality. Now, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are going to be writing a, a new Captain America book starting up pretty soon just got announced the other day and apparently the story that's being told here is going to continue in captain america zero in that book so the story that's being told here because wilson fisk has uh, outlawed vigilantism and and people wearing masks and 
Uh, it's almost like a, a mini version of the Superhero Registration Act we saw in the first Civil War. Um, he's got a bunch of files on a bunch of heroes. And Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier, he doesn't like that. You know, he's done some really terrible things. Um, and he doesn't even have all the answers and doesn't even know who to go to to get the answers or uh, how to atone for those things. So when he finds out that, that Fisk has this file on him, he wants it. He wants it. So he breaks into Fisk's uh, mansion to get it. And that's the story. Like he gets it, uh, and that's the story that will continue in, in Captain America number zero. So again, it's a simple story, but there's so much more to it than that, right? Like what happens when Bucky's in the mansion, how it all plays out, what he's feeling. He narrates it first person. Uh, it, it was just a fantastic issue. And uh, Kingpin is almost—I I won't go so far as to say he's a plot device, but he's almost tangential to the story in a lot of ways but then in another way he represent what he represents uh, as like a, an obstacle for Bucky is important um, what it allows Bucky what it says about Bucky in terms of his tenacity and his will to keep going uh, I think there's a lot of value there in terms of the art um, it's Nico Leone and I'm not that familiar with him as as an artist. I know that he's the the artist on the uh, the new Catwoman or the the uh, Tinny Howard Catwoman run that just started, and his art there is much cleaner and, and slicker. Um, but also that might have a lot to do with the colors. This is colored very dark. Takes place at night, um, and it makes the art. There's a lot of blacks, heavy blacks, and it makes the art look kind of muddy. Um, and I don't know. Maybe that's how Nico wanted it. Or maybe it's just the way that uh, Filippo Sobrero, Felipe Sobrero uh, colored it. I, I don't know, but it's not terrible art. Um, there are times when it's quite good, but there's other times where it, it's a little tough to see what's going on. Um, it felt a little overly dark to me, but I, I did very much enjoy the story, and it does have me uh, excited for what uh, Lansing and Kelly have coming up in uh, in Captain America. Uh, next book I'm going to talk about also a Devil's Reign book. Uh, this is just a regular series, number three of six, from writer Chip Zdarsky. Art is by Marco Cicchetto. Colors by Marcio Menez. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, we did find out that Zdarsky and Cicchetto are continuing on Daredevil. There's going to be a new number one, which bugs me. Um, a lot of times when a new creative team comes on, they'll give them a new number one. That that bugs me. Ne this isn't even a new creative team. We already got a new number one with Zdarsky when he followed Charles Soule. And now you stopped Daredevil, which I don't even think you needed to stop Daredevil. You you could have told this Devil's Reign story in the pages of Daredevil. Uh, and then you still could have had the, the other mini-series and one-shots that tied in. That would have been fine. Um, but I, this is a Daredevil story. I don't understand why it's just not in Daredevil. So you stop the Daredevil title, and then you end it, and then it's going to start back up after Devil's Reign is over, which I'm glad it's going to start back up because Zdarsky is a fantastic writer for daredevil and chichetto's art i'll talk about in a little bit but it's also fantastic for daredevil so i love that they're still on the book but just if you just start it back up with the next number in the series uh, anyway let me get off my soapbox and actually talk about the book um so like i mentioned kingpin has you know outlawed superheroes and he has promoted a bunch of supervillains to the thunderbolts to to take care of them uh to, to go capture the superheroes and whatnot we also have Otto Octavius, who has been tasked with checking out Reed Richards' lab. Uh, and we saw a couple of issues ago, uh, Devil's Reign Superior 4. 
that Otto Octavius went and recruited other Otto Octaviuses from the multiverse or the variants or whatever you want to call them, uh, which I find to be so strange. Um, and I don't even remember, did I say this in this episode or was it the last time? I'm going to say it again. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. Marvel Zombies used to make fun of the DC guys for having all these different variants and versions and whatnot. And, uh, and now Marvel's leaning into the same thing. So anyway, uh, in these other versions, in these other worlds or dimensions or however, other universes of Marvel, instead of Doc Ock putting his consciousness into Spider-Man, he put it into some other heroes, and Doc Ock has now recruited those heroes. So you remember in the 90s when Fantastic Four had um, the, the most 90s team ever? It was Spider-Man, Greyhawk, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine. Well, we've got somewhat of that here, but with four Doc Ocks. We don't have Spider-Man. We have the regular 616 Dr. Octopus. But then we have Hulk, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider. But they're Hulk, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider that have the consciousness of the Otto Octavius from their multiverse. From their reality. So that's fantastic. Love that they chose that. Love that Zdarsky chose that. And unbeknownst to Kingpin, Doc Ock isn't willing to settle for second place. He's planning on letting Kingpin take out most of the heroes, and then he's going to show up and you know wipe out whatever's left. So we see uh, some of those machinations going on in the book. Uh, we see what the heroes have, have decided to do. We, we learned last issue that, in a way, they're trying to, to beat the kingpin at his own game by having Luke Cage run for mayor. Unfortunately, seems doomed to failure because we saw in the first issue that uh, kingpin was able to rescue the, or uh, uh, capture the purple man, and the purple man is using his influence to sway voters. And kingpin's not just going to be satisfied to sway voters to win the mayorship of New York City. He wants to be president. In which case, this. It really will be the Superhero Registration Act, right? All over again. Civil War all over again. So how the, the vendors are going to combat that and what when are they going to realize that Purple Man is, is part of the equation and they're not going to be able to play nice and play by the rules. Like, all that is in play here. Um, so it's a really fantastic issue. I think we're halfway through. I think it's a six-issue mini. Uh, and I'm just really enjoying what uh, what Zdarsky's doing here uh, because the, it, he, he's got a story... What's so fantastic about it is he's got a story that works on so many levels. It, in a way, with Daredevil and Kingpin, it's it's street level. But then when you start talking about Dr. Octopus and these other versions from other realities, you're really scaling it up. You know, the, the power level of, of superheroes. The Iron Man's in it, Captain America, She-Hulk. So it, it really runs the gamut, uh, and it's a fantastic story. As far as the art by uh, Marco Cicchetto, what did I want to say about his art style? Similar to what I was just saying about how it runs the gamut, so does Chichetto's art. I, he is an artist who, more so than any artist I've ever seen, has this ability to mix grounded street-level characters and make them look sort of gritty and, and look like they're street-level. But then standing right next to them will be somebody who, who feels uh, so far above that, you know, so tr transcendent of that power level. You know, so you've got Daredevil and he... He looks street and he looks tough and he looks 
battle-worn, and then right next to him you've got She-Hulk looking like super cosmic and powerful and, uh, and you know, much cleaner and just that classic, you know, superhero look. Uh, he does that so, so well uh, throughout this book, you know, whether it's the forearmed Dr. Octopus Hulk or Iron Man in shiny armor or Captain America in his, uh, in his chain mail or the aforementioned She-Hulk or Human Torch or whoever against uh, Luke Cage and uh, against Daredevil and against Jessica Jones, you know, those street-level characters. So uh, he, does a, he does a fantastic job. Big fan of Marco. Really glad to hear he's still on um, still on Daredevil. Uh, okay, up next, sorry, my voice is going out here. Uh, we have The Death of Doctor Strange. This is the final issue. It's issue number five from Jed McKay, who I've mentioned, fantastic writer. Lee Garbett is the artist. Antonio Fabella does colors. Corey Petit on letters. Colors in this, just like the Captain America uh, Iron Man book, like I was mentioning, that Rochelle Rosenberg colored so well. Uh, Antonio Fabella does the same here in Death of Doctor Strange. It's not necessarily laser beams and, and the glow of lights from Iron Man's armor. It's, it's magic being wielded and, you know, magical lightning and magical fire and whatever. But Fabella does a fantastic job of making it leap off the page, making it light look like it's glowing. Just a great, great use of, uh, of color by Fabella. He's a fantastic color artist. Lee Garbett also does a fantastic job. A lot of emotion in this, this final issue with what happens, um, particularly a, a couple of, uh, of beats where garbage just nails the the look of surprise or or sorrow or what have you on on people's faces so really enjoyed that in terms of the story itself never been a big doctor strange fan but jed mckay um he nailed it uh part of the reason i haven't liked doctor strange in the past it's or wasn't able to get into it you know based on his powers he's sort of a walking ex deus machina you know if he gets if the writer kind of writes themselves into a corner and just oh there's there's a spell for that or it could be confusing with all the different demon names and different things that's going on. And, you know, Steve Ditko's run certainly was um, really esoteric and out there. And so, I don't know, in my mind, the stuff that I've read, it's been, it hasn't been really hard to follow, but it just it had a feel that wasn't straightforward. This doesn't feel like that. It still feels magical and important. And, I mean, it's the death of Doctor Strange, and the death felt like it had consequences, and everything made sense, but it, it was a very focused narrative. Uh, and I love that we got the one-shots, because that gave us a chance to see consequences, and, and how, even in, in little tangential ways, Doctor Strange um, impacted the, the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, and it allowed this main story to stay focused on uh, on Doctor Strange. So, uh, absolutely loved it. Loved the resolution. Um, loved the the climax in the story uh, with what happens with the the young Doctor Strange sort of figuring out a way to right the wrongs that that have happened throughout the the issue. But then in the end, um, that all gets flipped on its head, and we get some poignant moments as well. So I know I'm being super vague because I don't want to give anything away, but Big fan, big fan of this series. Really loved it. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, Iron Man number 16. This is from writer Christopher Cantwell. We have art by Julius Ota, colors by Frank D'Armada. Joe Caramagna handles the letters. We know last issue in Iron Man, we saw Tony Stark beat Korvac. Um, finally, I guess we'll say, or 
for good. Um, and he took all the power cosmic. He went to Earth and said, hey, I'm going to fix everything. Obviously, that worries a lot of people. It worries me. It worries the, the people that know Tony, even you know his, the people that are closest to him. Uh, it worries because Tony's not exactly the most stable guy. But actually, the idea he comes up with isn't, on the surface, doesn't seem that bad. Um, and, and the people are sort of taken aback by it. But it doesn't necessarily seem like the best idea either. But he just applies it to the supposed fix, the way to make the world better. He just applies it to New York City. And we see the fallout. Um, and it, it, it's, it's mixed results. Now, one of the characters in the book decides in a different way to try to solve it. And that didn't really make sense to me, uh, or I didn't agree with it. Um, but it made for an interesting ending, and it brought a new character into the book that um, will be interacting with Tony, uh, and I, I can't wait to see how that plays out. The other thing that this solution did is it, came, it, it gave Christopher Cantwell a chance to write one of the funniest lines I've ever read in a comic ever. Uh, it'll be a meme. It'll be something that's talked about. It was laugh-out-loud funny. Um, I, I literally laughed out loud. It was fantastic. <laughs> so a lot to love in this book. Uh, I've talked all along during the Cantwell run about how Christopher has been tearing Tony down to build him back up. Uh, and right now in a lot of ways, Tony's his own worst enemy. He's vanquished Korvac, but he hasn't, and he's been torn down and he's, he, he thinks he's trying to build himself back up, but he's going, he's going, he's going He's building himself back up in the wrong way. He's going about it in the wrong way. Um, and he can't even see it. He's too close to it. No human, I don't care how smart you are, should be wielding the power of cosmic, and, and Tony should know that. But, again, it's it's all part of the, the plan for, for Cantwell. In terms of the art, it's okay. It's a little dark. Um, and I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a color choice specifically, or if uh, Julius Ota... I mean, I don't feel like, I mean, it's Frank Diarmada and he's been coloring throughout and it hasn't felt this dark. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm just spoiled because we had Kafu and his super fine lines and Angel Unzetta, who I mentioned earlier, who, whose style is very, very similar. Th this style isn't as dynamic. The lines, line weights aren't as fine. Um, I mean, the storytelling is, is okay. Uh, I, I, nothing overt. I can say that's wrong about it. Um, but the page layouts are pretty standard, and yeah, there's nothing, there's no wow factor, I guess is what I'll say. But I, I'm not familiar with this artist. Maybe he's just starting out, um, and he does he does a good job of of conveying the story. So can't actually complain. Uh, okay. Up next, it's another Jed McKay book. It ties into the Beyond storyline that we uh, were talking about earlier with the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so it's. Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond, written by Jed McKay, C.F. Villa is the artist, Eric Arsenega on colors, Travis Lanham on letters. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this is a really fun story. It's almost like a buddy cop story with Black Cat and Mary Jane having to go on a mission. Um, they have one night to basically uh, fulfill somebody's ultimatum. Um, and it, it's just a lot. It's a lot of fun. The art is fantastic. Um had any complaint about the art the, the color work it's it does take place at night so you expect it to be a little on the darker side i wouldn't have minded if mary jane's hair was just a little brighter to me she's more of a bright red head and, and uh, arsenega colors her with dark red hair here but 
again, it's a, it's a minor nitpick. Overall, it's a really fun story. What I love is the dynamic and the voice that Jed and McKay gives these two women. Uh, I mean, I, for me, not, not that I've read every single Black Cat comic or comic she's been, but for me, Jed McKay writes a, a wonderful Black Cat, writes Felicia with, with real balance. Um, and I haven't, I don't think I've read anything Jed McKay's written that had Mary Jane in it. Not that I can remember off the top of my head anyway, but um, the dynamic, the interpersonal relationship between these two, he, I think he nails, right? Like there, he could, he could write it where they're jealous at each other. They're sniping at each other. They've both dated Peter. They both still have feelings for him. Um, it could go in a lot of different directions and a lot of negative directions, but um, he, I think he does a, a good job of, of taking it a different direction. It does feel realistic. Um, those things are acknowledged and the feelings that the, the warm feelings these two have for each other are acknowledged as well. And it's not just because of the adventure they go on, right? Like shared experiences or whatnot. Like it feels authentic. So there's, there's some poignant moments and, uh, and I really loved it. Um, and yeah, I thought the, the art was, was really, um, uh, was really good as well in terms of the, of the line art. So, um, I wasn't originally planning on picking this up. I was going to read my digital copy and just be fine. You know, it ties into the beyond storyline or, or whatever. But after reading this, I'm like, man, I want a copy. <laughs> I want a copy just because it's a really good story. So that, uh, I think that's a pretty solid recommendation. Uh, okay. So next book I'll mention, it's another of the best jacket titles. Like I was talking about before. Um, don't know if I mentioned it, but I will be doing We Have Demons number three. Haven't gotten to it yet, but it is coming. I know I'm a week late. Sorry about that. Um, but the other Best Jacket title that's out today, in addition to Clear, number four, is Night of the Ghoul, number four. So this is from Scott Snyder. Art by Art and Colors, I should say, by Francesco Francavilla. Letters by Anvil Design. This is a creepy story. Uh, it's horror, but it's not necessarily what I would call like really scary. Um, but conceptually it's a great idea from, um, from Snyder and Frank Avia. So basically they've come up with this idea that there's a monster, a classic monster that is the kind of the, the origin or, or the impetus for all, for all monsters. Um, and that's the ghoul. So at, at various stages of its development or life cycle or what have you, it, it may, um, it may drain blood from things. So that gives rise to the, the myth of vampires at, at other stages of its life. Maybe it's, it's, you know, real hairy and hulking. And that gave rise to the idea of, of werewolves. So, it's a really interesting um, starting point, and the specific details of the story are there's a guy who made a horror film that was going to expose this idea of the ghoul to the world. There's an order that worships the ghoul called the Order of the Fly. They burned down the movie studio. The movie never saw the light of day. Decades later, this guy who is an aspiring filmmaker who works restoring films comes across a bunch of pieces of this legendary film night of the ghouls and he wants to restore it. And he does a bunch of research and finds out that the director who they thought died is actually in this, uh, assisted care facility, not too far away from where the guy lives. <clears throat> so he takes his son there under false pretenses, gets in to see the guy 
uh, the director and starts pumping him for information. He wants to fully uh, restore the film and release it. And he wanted his son there to show his, cause he's, he's kind of a, a lovable loser in a lot of ways. He hasn't been real successful in life. So he wants his kid there to see him, you know, finally succeed at something. But what he's really done is he's brought his himself and his kid into a trap because the ghoul is there it's the order of the fly it's the ghoul that are keeping that director hostage why they've kept him alive all this all these years we don't know so there's a little bit of a mystery because we don't know everything about the ghoul um but the, the tension is and the drama have been building throughout so it's a dual narrative in terms of we're seeing what's happening in that assisted care facility and we're also uh, seeing the the movie unfold in the black and white pages uh, we get to see the the film as well so it's a really great story uh, again drama and creepiness and suspense and there's some emotional aspect as well because this relationship between father and son is, is somewhat fractured and there's there's tension and issues there as well so really great story if you love horror i definitely would uh would recommend it and we'll be doing a, a deep deep dive full review on that uh coming up maybe next week Later this week, early next week, we'll see. Uh, okay, let's see. What do we have left here? Uh, okay, next book I'm going to talk about is Ten Deaths of Wolverine. This follows on the Ten Lives of Wolverine from Benjamin Percy that came out last week. This one's also written by Benjamin Percy. We have art by Federico Vincentini. Uh, let's see. Diho Lima with Frank Martin handles the colors and Corte Petit on letters. So in the 10 lives of Wolverine, we saw Wolverine hopping through time, rescuing Charles Xavier from all these possible deaths. This uh, story, and I'm going to spoil the end of Inferno. If you haven't read it, don't want it spoiled jump ahead 30 seconds. But at the end of Inferno, we see that destiny and mystique take away Moira McTaggart's ability to reincarnate. They take away her mutant power, effectively make her human. Um, and she's able to flee with the help of Cypher. So this picks up right where that left off, with Moira fleeing from um, from Mystique and Destiny as they're trying to track her down and kill her for everything she was involved with, with uh, Professor X and Magneto, with keeping secrets and all these different lifetimes that she's led and, and different timelines and, and what have you. So this one's action packed from the start. I can't talk more about the story than that because it it's nonstop action throughout. Um, I'm not sure why it's 10 lives of, or 10 deaths of Wolverine because Wolverine barely shows up at the end. He, he maybe he's going to go hunting Moira as well because we do see him at one point do something that kind of uh, intimates that that may be what's coming or hints at it. So we'll have to see how that uh, plays out. But yeah, Moira's in deep crap. Um, and I, I don't even think that Professor X and Magneto, they don't even, based on what happened in the events of um, of Inferno, they don't even realize that Moira has, has, is no longer a mutant. And uh, if she dies, that's it. So love what's going on here. Not sure what the end game is. But what we do know is the 10 lives of Wolverine and the 10 deaths of Wolverine are six issues long. And they've been compared by Marvel to House of X and Powers of uh, 10 in terms of those two minis kicked off the first Age of Krakoa. These two minis kick off what they're calling the second Age of Krakoa. So I imagine the X-Books may look a little bit different by the time these two uh, Wolverine miniseries uh, are done. As far as the art, uh, it's very kinetic. It's a little looser and, and more wild than I 
personally like, but um, Federico does a, he's got a good sense of uh, of layouts inside the panels themselves. Uh, as far as the page layout, it's pretty generic, just a bunch of bunch of boxes, and he doesn't even break the panels very often, um, which maybe that suits his style because it does tend to be a little bit messy. Uh, but it does get across the feeling of, of the pacing of the story that I think Benjamin Percy wants, which is nonstop action, just this frenetic pace with Moira constantly on the run. Okay, last book I'm going to talk about in detail. I mentioned this at the top. It's Chicken Devil number five, and I don't know if it's actually going to be at your comic store this week or not. Um, what I will say is if you do, I'm sorry, it's Chicken Devil number four. Uh, if you do pick it up, make sure you read the essay in the back from Brian Bucciolato because uh, it gives a lot of context into what he was trying to do with the story, which the story, if you're not familiar with it, it's about this guy named Mitchell who has a couple of fast food franchises where he sells these hot chicken sandwiches, spicy chicken sandwiches. His business partner gets in bed with a Russian mob selling drugs and skimming off the top. He gets caught. Obviously the mob has it out for him. He brings in, he tells Mitchell what he's done. They try to solve it. His partner gets killed. Now the Russians want Mitchell dead as well. They blow up a boat that his family's on. Mitchell breaks bad, completely loses it. He's just a regular, ordinary guy. Dons his chicken suit, chicken devil suit, because that's the name of his franchise, uh, his restaurants. And that's what he uses as his disguise and just goes goes Punisher on these guys and gets his, gets his revenge. But then at the end of issue three, in the, the, a crazy, shocking twist... Mitchell's family shows up and they're still alive. So in this issue, we find out how that happened. Um, and we, we find out a ton of other stuff too. Uh, we see that really Mitchell wants to put the genie back in the bottle and, and kind of turn back the clock now that his family's not dead. Uh, you know, he, he went crazy. He got his revenge based on what he believed to be true. And it turns out not to be true, but as you know, you, you can't unring that bell. So there's a little bit of a twist at the end. Uh, and on the last page, we're told the end and then in parentheses for now. And in that essay, I was talking about Brian Buccioletto signs off by saying that, uh, stay tuned. We've got more chicken devil cooking. So I'm really glad there's more of this coming. Like I said, he does talk in the essay about, um, wanting to, to tell a story about a guy who, who loses it and then finds out, okay, well, I didn't actually need to lose it. I, my family wasn't, wasn't really dead, but how do you unbreak bad after you've crossed the line? So really, really great story. Really fun. The Hayden Sherman art is, is chaotic and frenetic and it suits the tone and pace of the story. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Brian. I've read a lot of his stuff and enjoyed most of it. And, uh, like when I heard chicken, I'm like chicken devil. What the heck? What could this be? But, you know, it got me to, well, first, and it's also Aftershock. That had a lot to do with it as well. Like, I trust Brian. I trust Aftershock, even though it was crazy, crazily titled Chicken Devil. I'm like, all right, let me read the first issue. But that's the thing. It's so fast-paced, and it's such a crazy idea and crazy hook with this great art that it just it sucked me in. And, like, right from issue one, you're just hooked. So, fantastic job. Can't wait for more of, uh, of Chicken Devil. So, uh, okay, let me give a rundown on some of the other books that we're looking for. I think I mentioned Seven Swords from Aftershock. I don't know if that's coming out today. I, it's number five. I didn't get a preview copy. 
It's listed, but again, I don't know, but Chicken Devil's not listed, so it may or may not be there. I do recommend it. It's written by Evan Doherty. It's a, it's a fun story. I look forward to, to finishing it whenever I get my hands on it. Uh, from AWA, Telepass number 5-6. From Bad Idea, we've got Monster Kill Squad number 3 and Pirate Queens number 4. Over at Boom Studios, House of Slaughter number 4. Uh, that ties in with uh, James Tynan's Something is Killing the Children. We also have the 24th issue of Karen Gellin and Dan Mora's Once and Future. Uh, from Dark Horse, um, Brian Michael Bendis and Stephen Byrne have the third issue of their Joy Operations miniseries out. It's number three of five. Uh, let me give a rundown of the DC books. There's 18 of them. Massive, over three-hour episode yesterday. Full reviews, Rocky from Comic Boom and I talking about these. So... We always do the DC Spotlight separate on Tuesdays with spoilers. Don't forget, you can hear more details about them on yesterday's episode. So let me give a rundown of what's there. Action Comics number 1039. Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target number 4 of 7. Batman, Catwoman Special number 1, which is a tribute to John Paul Leone, who did a lot of the art. Uh, the late, I should say the late great John Paul Leone, who did uh, art for the first half of the book. DC versus Vampires number 4 of 12, written by Tynan and Rosenberg, art by Otto Schmidt. Absolutely excellent. Really enjoying that. Deathstroke Incorporated number 5. Detective Comics number 1050 from Mariko Tamaki. Beautiful artwork from Yvonne Reese and a reveal on the last page, which blew me away. Really, really good. There's also a backup by Rosenberg that's really solid. Uh, one of the most fun comics out on stands right now is Flash. It's up to number 778. That's by Jeremy Adams. And don't forget, we have our review with Jeremy Adams coming up tomorrow. It'll be released on Thursday. Uh, Harley Quinn, number 11. Riley Rossmo Art. Stephanie Phillips on the narrative. Human Target, number 4 of 12. Now, Tom King, who's the writer of this book, has said himself, you don't even need to read it. You just can pick it up and look at the Greg Smallwood art. He's 100% right. This is quite possibly the best book coming out on stands right now. It's unlike anything else out there. The art is sublime and gorgeous and charming. The story that Tom is unfold he's weaving this romance and mystery together. It, it's just so, so good. I cannot recommend it highly enough. That book will win awards. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Justice League number 71 is also out. Peacemaker Disturbing the Peace number one from Garth Innes with Gary Brown on art. A very different Peacemaker than the James Gunn slash John Cena version, but still a very compelling and intriguing version. You get his origin, you, you understand who he is as a character, definitely it bridges the, the Cena version with the, the classic comics version, and, and I hope there are fans of Peace, the Peacemaker TV show who come and pick this up, because it's easily, it's just a one and done, it's an easy read, and it's really fun, and it could, it could hook some people, could get some people reading comics. It's really good. Uh, Robin number 10 from Joshua Williamson we've got Static season 1 number 5 of 6 the penultimate issue of that uh, Superman 78 number 6 from Robert Menditti with art by Wilfredo Torres which it wrapped up that series so well there were so many moments of either scripted dialogue or uh, from Venditti or scenes that Wilfredo Torres drew where I was hearing Christopher Reeve's voice or I was hearing Gene Hackman's voice or I was seeing the scene that Wilfredo Torres drew, I could see it in my mind's eye playing out on the big screen. Uh, for me, Christopher Reeve is, the, when I picture live-action Superman, that's who I picture. So uh, I think that the entire creative team, Jordi Belair, who did the colors, everybody, all of them, they deserve such a pat on the back. I think 
Christopher Reeve and Richard Donner would be very proud of of what they did, and it it so honors their legacy. It, it is it is just so good. Um, Superman and Robin special number one is also out. It's it's Super Sons but updated because obviously John's been artificially aged up and Damien's older now too. It's written by Peter J. Tomasi who wrote the original Super Sons, a lot of it with Patrick Gleason uh, on art and co-writing. Uh, Victor Bogdanovic does the art for for this one and he's a good choice because he has a very youthful aesthetic to his art. Um, so even though it's older versions of these characters, it still feels like Super Sons. It doesn't feel exactly the same. But it feels pretty close. It's got that charm. It's got the good back and forth banter between uh, John and Damien. So I, I did really enjoy that. Um, Task Force Z number four, written by uh, Matthew Rosenberg, or by Eddie Barrows, also very good. Teen Titans Academy number 11. And finally, Wonder Girl number seven, which brings that series to uh, a close. So. Moving on to Image, we talked about most of the Image books, but I do want to mention that Deadly Class is up to number 50. We do have a Gunslinger Spawn issue. It's up to number four. I tried to read that. Uh, I'm, I'm lost on context. Again, part of the reason we're doing the Spawn Daily, going back and rereading the entire Spawn uh, series, is because I've never read it before. And so this one ties in a lot with the Violator and the Clown, and I just don't have enough history to know why they are where they are in as characters in Gunslinger Spawn number four. So I'm definitely looking forward to, to catching up, you know, toward the end of the year, we'll be up to Gunslinger Spawn number four and I'll, I'll happily read it. Uh, Ice Cream Man number 28 is also out. We've got the trade paperback for Made in Korea, which is definitely worth your time. I mentioned Saga number 55 at the top. Saga is back, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Fiona Staples. I know a lot of people will be happy about that. Stray Dogs, Stray Dogs, Dogs, can't even talk. Stray Dogs, Dog Days, number two of two from Trish Forstner and, uh, and Tony Fleeks is also out. I know that gets uh, a lot of people's uh, attention because that was a very popular series. And then Two Moons, number nine, which is sort of the magical, demonic uh, Civil War story is also out. Uh, from Marvel, I talked about most of the books. There is a Black Panther number three. I don't know if I mentioned it on this version or the one where I forgot to turn my mic on. Uh, but it's actually like legacy number 200 of Black Panther. So... Uh, and it's by John Ridley. I wanted to jump on the Black Panther uh, book when John Ridley started, and I I, f I forgot about it. And so uh, I I was hearing rumors that this three was a hot book for some reason. So even though I wasn't planning on buying it, I'm like man, I should probably try to grab it along with issue one and two because the last thing I want is for issue three to shoot up in price for some crazy reason, and then I've got one and two and I I can't get three. So hoping to pick up all three of those when I get to my comic shop today. Uh, Let's see, what else from Marvel? Marauders Annual Number 1. We've got uh, Star Wars The High Republic Trail of Shadows Number 4 of 5. Thor Number 21, which uh, that's another really hot book. Donny Cates. Uh, Thor is fighting somebody called the God of Hammers or Goddess of Hammers or something like that. I don't know. Something big is going down in that book. I heard people were talking about it, but I don't read Thor, so it's not one I'm worried about, but you might want to be on the lookout if you're a Thor person, get there early. Uh, and then finishing up Marvel with X-Men number seven. Uh, okay, from Titan Comics, we have a new Cowboy Bebop number one. If you're a fan of that, you might want to look to pick up the first issue. And then rounding it out from Valiant, we have Harbinger number four, which I, I think I read the first issue, maybe the first two. Then I fell off. I, I probably should go back and revisit that. So anyway, that's the rundown. Those are the books this week, everybody. Um, 
really sad that I had to do this twice. My voice is completely shot. <clears throat> but I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, other content coming out today, I have a creator-owned spotlight with Trevor Fernandez-Linkowitz, who's got his campaign on Kickstarter going for the fourth issue of uh, Area 51, The Helix Project. It's definitely worth your time. I've told Trevor before he doesn't charge enough for his books. He doesn't make any money. He loses money on this uh, self-publishing because he only sells them for 5 bucks. And between the cost of printing them and having them shipped to you, well, first of all, paying your artist, he's not he's not making anything, right? He, he doesn't even pay himself a rate for writing the book. And he lettered the first couple. And then he's got to pay his artist, so that's money out of his pocket. And then he's got to pay to have it printed and then he's got to pay to have it shipped from the printers then he's got to have it paid he's got to do the work himself again to package these up and he's not paying himself anything so he's taking away time he could be at his regular job to package these things up and ship them and he's got to pay for the shipping now again some of those costs are defrayed by the money he does make in the campaign but i mean sell your books for a little more dude but again he he wants he's doing it because he was trying to break in uh, he is trying to break in, and he believes in the product. He wants to get it in front of as many eyes as possible, and I, I, I kind of understand that. So uh, so anyway, even it's issue four, but even if you haven't read any of them, he's got issues available of, of the first print of all the first three issues, but he's running low on issue number one, so this may be your last chance. You can get all four of them for 20 bucks, so five bucks each. He's not even charging more for the older ones. Uh, and if you want to get them all digitally, it's 15 bucks. So it's a really good deal. It's an It's an intriguing story. So anyway, go and listen to the the um, the interview with Trevor. Share it on social media. It really help us out that way. Uh, again, I mentioned it before. We've got the interview with Jeremy Adams coming up uh, on Thursday. Uh, I'm talking to Jerry Conway on Friday. I was supposed to talk to him a few weeks ago. Schedule didn't line up, so we're doing it this Friday. So that'll be out soon. Last weekend, I talked to uh, last Friday. I talked to Christopher Priest. That episode dropped on Monday. That was a fascinating conversation. We talked to the creative team from Supermassive. The writers, anyway, Kyle Higgins, Matt Groom, Ryan Parrott. Final order cutoff was Monday. Hope you guys ordered it. It's going to sell out. It's going to be hard to find. But you can learn more about uh, Supermassive and their characters, specifically Inferno Girl Red and uh, Rogue Sun, who are making their comic book debuts in that Supermassive title. Uh, Ryan Parrott will be on soon to talk about Rogue Sun, who uh, is his name is Dylan. He's a bully in high school. He inherits his his father's a superhero. He inherits his father's power. So what happens when the bully gets the power, right? Can you even call him a hero? So again, we'll have Ryan on to talk about that soon as well. So a lot of great content, a lot of uh, stuff coming out for you guys. Hope you're all enjoying it. Appreciate the support as always. Sorry my voice is giving out. I've uh, been talking for like three hours straight now since uh, I had that snafu but uh, appreciate you all listening as always appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next time you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.